Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, that's, that's your line. <laughs> Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I tell you, I, uh, I invite Jim into my house, and he immediately usurps my authority. <laughs> Some elder you are. So, <laughs> uh, Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I do hope that this finds you and yours doing well. And uh, Jim Osmond and I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, we, are, we are starting a, a new series and um, I am joined by my friend and pastor, teaching elder at Kootenai Community Church, Jim Osman. And we are recording this. You won't be listening to this on this day, but we are recording this on May the 5th, 16th and uh, Tuesday. And uh, so day before yesterday, as of this recording, was Mother's Day. And Jim preached what is pro- <laughs> what is probably the most unseeker-friendly uh Mother's Day sermon, you could. He preached on death. He preached out of Ecclesiastes chapter seven. And, and Jim, what in the world didn't didn't you? Uh, haven't you read the church growth books? I I did, and I, I failed the church growth course at Bible college. <laughs> but Ecclesiastes seven was just the next text in the book of Ecclesiastes. Right. We're working our way through that that particular book. And and uh, a long time ago, I decided I was not going to let Hallmark determine my preaching schedule. So I used to do Mother's Day sermons and Father's Day sermons, and I thought that's just I, I'm done with that, so yeah. I stopped doing it. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't let them dictate what I preach on. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Don't let, don't let Hallmark determine your sermon series. So, uh, yeah, it was an excellent sermon. If if you go to kootenaychurch.org, uh, I would commend that sermon to you. Uh, any any of the sermons that Jim has there are excellent, but uh, uh, it's particularly good on Mother's Day. Uh, good exposition of Ecclesiastes seven. All right. Well, Jim, speaking of exposition, that is why I have you here, and we are going to be talking about what is now your third book entitled Prosperity of the Wicked, and just in case we have some new listeners, I hope I maybe have a few new listeners since last you joined me, uh, you have written two other books. Let's briefly talk about those. What are your first two books? Yeah, the first one was called Truth or Territory, A Biblical Approach to Spiritual Warfare, and uh, in that book, I answer a lot of the um, a lot of the unbiblical practices that are commonplace in evangelical Christianity. Things like binding Satan, um, re- reproving the devil, rebuking the devil, strategic level spiritual warfare, uh, canceling hexes and curses, and praying hedges of thorns. Those are the things I critique, but also try and lay out a biblical approach to spiritual warfare, which is that spiritual warfare is a battle for truth and not for territory. And we are really fighting a truth war. And then the second book is called "Selling the Stairway to Heaven," and it is a it is a um, a review of Colton or Todd Burpo's book uh, about Colton Burpo's visit to heaven. Uh, heaven is for real, and Don Piper's Ninety Minutes in Heaven, and a neurosurgeon named Eben Alexander who wrote a book called "Proof of Heaven," and it deals with the. Uh, unbiblical notion that we can be taking trips to heaven and coming back and reporting on them. And I, I critique their books and compare them not only with themselves, but with each other and then also with scripture. Yeah. Excellent. And you can, uh, you can find these books at either at my website, dear ones, Justin, just, excuse me, justinpeters.org 
or you can go to truthorterritory.com, right? Yeah. Truth. Or the Kootenai Church website or Amazon. Amazon has them in print and in Kindle. So you have a plethora of avenues from which to purchase these books. But uh, uh, financially, okay, these the proceeds from this book don't go to Jim Osmond's no, they, I don't get, I've never made a dime off of any one of these books. In fact, I personally have lost money. But uh, the church makes the, the, the building fund for our church. Makes yeah. the uh, they get all the proceeds for it. Yeah. All of the money goes to help us get into our building fund. So or our building, and we are, we are have set it as our goal, our sort of unofficial goal, to be in our building by the end of 2017. Uh, Lord willing, and if He is gracious, we think we can do that. Um, not that if God is gracious, but if He is, if He abundantly provides for us, He is always <laughs> gracious. Right. But if He abundantly provides for us in that way, we believe we can get in by the end of 2017. So that's what we're moving forward toward, and all the proceeds. From these books, uh, all three of them, everything I write goes to that building fund to help us help us achieve that goal. Well, uh, friends, I'm very um, uh, particular about the people that I endorse and the people with whom I uh, associate. I try to be as careful as you possibly can, and um, and I can tell you from knowing Jim Osmond personally and and uh, being a member of the church that uh, uh, when you when you purchase these books, uh, the, the money, the proceeds do go to a very worthy cause. We're worshiping right now in a cafeteria. Elementary school can like to move into the new building, which is being uh, renovated as we speak. All right. Well, Jim, this third book is entitled <clears throat> Prosperity of the Wicked, and it is an exposition of Psalm chapter 73. Uh, give us just an overview of what this book is about. What does a title mean? What is a book about? And what what drew you to Psalm 73? Well, it's always been one of my favorite psalms uh, in the Psalter, Psalm 73 has, because of of the perspective change that the author of the psalm, Asaph, goes through in the psalm. And it deals with the question of why is it that the wicked prosper? What, What is it that God is doing through giving so many wicked so much money? And it's it seems like a perennial question that everybody asks in every age. And, of course, we have examples of wicked people today who prosper enormously. And so the psalm really seeks to answer that question through the eyes of a man named Asaph, whom himself uh, he himself kind of stumbled over that issue of the prosperity of the wicked. It almost made him uh, lose his faith, as it were. It, it, it really caused a crisis in his own faith and trust in the goodness of God. And so it's always been a it's always been one of my favorite psalms. I, there's there's a flow to the psalm that I love reading it. I love getting to the halfway point of the psalm because it turns a corner and goes from darkness to light. And I've always just loved reading through it. So a couple of years ago, I needed something to fill in for a couple of weeks um, while I was going to be before I was heading on to an extended vacation. I had finished one chapter in the Gospel of John, and I didn't want to introduce the next chapter and then be gone. So I needed something to fill in a couple of Sundays, and I thought, why not go through uh, prosperity of the wicked in Psalm 73. So I, I took that psalm and divided it into two, uh, two halves and preached two sermons on it. But I quickly realized as I was working my way through it that far more stuff was hitting the editing room floor than I was actually able to include in my message. It was it's such a rich psalm, so loaded with meaning and significance and and stuff that is worthy of our meditation. That I I just thought to myself one of these days I'm going to write a series of articles on this mm. psalm because it it really deserves far more than than uh, what I'm able to do for it just in, in uh, two's messages. So I kind of put it on the back shelf and then recently decided I was going to start a series of articles. And then uh, as I started that, I thought, I'm just going to make that a book and turn those articles into a book. I did some searching on Amazon, and there was only one other 
other than other than commentaries on the book of Psalms, which deal with all of the Psalms or you know, half of the Psalms or something like that, there was no single book on Psalm seventy three except one. There was just one book out there and it was written by somebody who um, and it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't deep, but it was written by somebody who denies the doctrine of common grace, and it had some things in it that I kind of disagreed with. And I thought there's a there's kind of a lack here to deal with this one particular psalm in a way that gives a, a sound exegesis of it from a, a doctrinally sound perspective. So uh, I wanted to provide that. So as far as I know, I have the only book out there on Psalm 73 that is a as a full study of the entire psalm in a in a very deep way. Yeah. <clears throat> And I, I have read the book, uh, Dear Ones, cover to cover, and I can tell you it's it's excellent, it's thorough, as as Jim does. He's very thorough with the text, and um, it's easy sometimes to read the Psalms when we just kind of read them uh, devotionally, and that is good, but, but there, this is a, a very rich, rich passage of Scripture, and it speaks to something that, that you and I observe every day, Jim, and, and all of us. Basically, it's we look out and we see a lot of wicked people that are prospering, yeah, and and Asaph saw this. Well, maybe let's. Okay, a lot of people think that David wrote all the Psalms. He he didn't write. He wrote many of them, but he didn't write all of them. Asaph wrote Psalm seventy three. Who's Asaph? Asaph was a music leader at the time during the time of King David. He was given a, a position of responsibility and authority over other music leaders. He was there for uh, the dedication of the temple. He. He led the worship and the singing uh, under King David for the nation of Israel, and uh, other than other than a couple, other than the fact that we we know that he did that, he wrote, uh, I forget how many psalms it is off the top of my head, eleven or twelve psalms, something like that. Psalm seventy three kind of stands alone, and then there is a grouping of psalms that Asaph wrote um, a, a little. Is it earlier or later in the Psalter? I can't remember now. Later, but I uh, yeah, I think I think it's later. Um, but seventy Psalm seventy three kind of stands alone, and then but Asaph's psalms are. They're rich in doctrine. They they exalt God. Of course, we can say this about all the psalms. It's not like some of the psalms are right. are poor in doctrine or shallow in doctrine. But um, they're just. This they're, is your third most favorite passage of scripture, right? Third most important passage of scripture. <laughs> that's right. Sorry, folks. That's an inside joke. I just couldn't help myself. Yeah. Right. No. It, but it's a. It, it is just such a. His his psalms really demonstrate that Asaph understood a lot about the nature and the character of God, and uh, Psalm seventy three is no exception to the to the rest of the psalms that Asaph wrote. And it's divided into basically two halves, Psalm 73. The first half, Asaph, is he's looking at the wicked. He see how, sees how they prosper materially, financially, even in their, their death, as we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it almost caused him to stumble. But then halfway through the psalm, his per- perspective changes that we'll talk about probably not much today, but in a, in a later program coming up. Uh, so give us an overview just of the two halves of the psalm. Yeah, so the psalm is 28 verses long, and it, it divides almost almost perfectly in half. The first 14 verses deal with um, what Asaph observed concerning the wicked who prosper and uh, how things went with them and the money that they enjoyed and their wickedness, and he comments on all of that. In the second half of the psalm, uh, Asaph's perspective is, is entirely changed. And there's something that happens at the middle point of the psalm, and it's in Psalm 73, verse 17. Asaph says, I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I came into the sanctuary of God. So in the first 14 verses, he has this very worldly, very, it's not that God is out of the picture, but he's not seeing things from God's perspective. And this caused him great angst and vexation. And then 
he steps into the sanctuary, the holy place of God, and he gets God's perspective on the wicked, as it were. And that is when you get in the second half of the psalm, which deals with uh, him realizing that um, that God is his portion day and night, that, that, that God has given him all of these graces and goodnesses, and he gets a biblical perspective on the wicked and what their prosperity is for and how that prosperity is used by God in the outworking of God's purposes for his redeemed and for the wicked themselves. Okay. All right. So this is something we can all relate to, even though Asaph was writing this uh, in the immediate context, as you see in the first verse, surely God is good to Israel. But uh, we look out today and, and we see the same thing that Asaph saw. We see, wicked men right wicked men and wicked women uh whether it's in the realm of politics or uh entertainment we could fill we could fill a dozen radio programs just giving examples of how the wicked prosper right i mean we have uh in in particularly in our culture in our context where we have so much prosperity we're such a wealthy nation we are an unbelievably wealthy nation we live the poorest among us live better than kings did in solomon's day Right. Uh, or even kings did 200 years ago. Um, and so it, it's no surprise then that the wicked in our nation would prosper even more. Um, you have the example of the prosperity gospel preachers that you deal with on a regular basis. Those are those are grossly wicked men. Oh, this, ladies and gentlemen, is Justin's phone. <laughs> Hold on a second. This is, He's gonna, this is radio gold right here. He's going to pull this out. He's going to silence uh, it, man. I'm I'm terrible. I, I'm doing the I'm doing the thing that uh, bugs me so much when people's cell phones go off in church. That was Benny Hinn calling you right there. It was, man. I, I knew he'd come around. So, all right. No. He probably heard about your interview with Costi, and he's yeah. upset. <laughs> yeah. Speaking, of, I'm going to. Okay, my phone is off. All right. Sorry about that. Live radio. That's not really live. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Go ahead. Pick up where we. The the wicked, yes. <laughs> Speaking of Benny Hinn, the Speaking wicked. of Benny Hinn, yeah. Right. The uh, the prosperity pro- folks that you deal with, these are people who are grossly wicked in their motives and in their false doctrine and in their fleecing of innocent Christians and their promotion of their own greed and selfishness. And yet, Ken Copeland has how many jets? How many houses? How many hangers? Oh yeah. Benny Hinn rolls in money. These men are wicked, and they roll in in wealth. And you see it in the entertainment industry. Some of the people who are in the, even in entertainment, whether they're in music or in movies or on your television screen or newscasters, they promote some of the most ungodly and wicked causes that have ever disgraced the face of this planet. And yet they make millions of dollars doing it. Beyonce just bought a $107 million home. Um, and, and got to live in something. You've got to live in something <laughs> right. And, and, and these people are, and yet they are perverse in their lifestyles and in what they promote and in their political and cultural agenda, they are perverse. And it's the politicians, and it is the entertainers, and it is the actors. Some of these people who act on the television screens promote the most godless behavior and uh, actually do harm to God's people and persecuting them, speaking up against them. And, and yet they are prosperous. They are wealthy beyond the dreams of you and I. Right, right. And I've, I've seen this even, uh, even in... in third world countries like Uganda, uh, a very godly man that I have mentioned to you before, dear ones, uh, Pastor Bill, uh, pastor of this small little church in Uganda, uh, went and visited him and preached in a number of places in Uganda and, and stayed in his home. And he's got, does not even have a, a toilet 
it just has a concrete closet with the floor slanting towards the outside wall with a hole in it and they literally push their refuse their yeah their refuse their feces with a stick outside you know through this hole in the wall and and yet here's this man who is a, a faithful servant of the Lord humble guy wife kids and preaching God's word and he lives in abject poverty and there's a, a multi-millionaire prosperity preacher in the same region that had him arrested and chained to a tree and beaten up. And a lot, and a lot of people will look at that disparity between those two men and say, well, God is obviously blessing the one and not the other. Right. And yet, looking at it with the eyes of faith, we see a man who is faithful to God with sound in doctrine, loves the Lord, and is serving his people, who is the persecuted one. He is the He is the beaten down and the downtrodden one, and the other man seems to uh, have everything that the world could possibly offer him, and it seems as if God is lavishing the other man with his blessings. Yeah. And that, seeing that, look, you see that one time, and you, you can make an excuse for it. You can, you can come up with a way of justifying it or, or understanding it and fitting it into your your Christian worldview, your your Western-minded Christian worldview. But then when you see that over and over and over again, you see godly people who who all over the world have a hard time making the ends meet and and putting food on the table they battle the battle for bread each and every day and then you see wicked people who just live in such luxury why is it that these uh, mullahs and and arab princes and kings who do not even worship the one true god and hate the one true god and persecute christians and persecute jews why is it that they live in palaces of gold and marble and crystal and yet the the true people of god live in such horrible conditions you see when I mean, you can see hundreds you could line up hundreds and hundreds of examples of that you have to come up with some way, biblically, of explaining why is that the case. Right. Otherwise, it would make you, like Asaph says in Psalm 73, uh, verse 2, As for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. He, he almost tripped over this. This Verse 3, I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And this was a real stumbling block for him. And it is for a lot of people. And it, and it, it can be if we don't have God's perspective on prosperity. Yeah, yeah. And... And he almost stumbled. I mean, his his feet were at the point of stumbling. He was he was at the precipice of, of of his faith uh, shattering. I think looking into the abyss of apostasy, yeah, glancing down into this, it, he 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 from an earthly perspective had no way of explaining what it was that he was seeing. And it's this is not unique to, this is not unique to to Asaph's era. Look at Job. Job right. experienced the exact same thing. Right. You know why why is it that that Job lost everything, and yet there were wicked people in Job's day who seemed to have everything. Right. You know, that, that doesn't make any sense without the eyes of faith, without the perspective that Asaph had. Yeah. And Habakkuk mentions the same thing in Jeremiah. Um, this is all the way through Scripture, this, this conundrum. Um, why is it that God chastens his own people, the Israelites, while the Babylonians, which are far more wicked than they were, are the instruments of that chastening? Right? The Babylonians live in luxury and prosperity, and yet the righteous seem downtrodden each and every day. Why is that? Yeah, exactly. It's all start. And that can make one start to question the goodness of God, which is which is what Asaph was doing. And so he begins the psalm in verse 1 by saying, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And eventually that's the point that Asaph wants to prove in Psalm 73, is that God is good to his people. Because sometimes we can look at the prosperity that the wicked enjoy and think, well, God sure is good to them. That's what we think. God is good to Benny Hinn. God's being good to right. Kenneth Copeland. God's being good to Bill Gates and, and Warren Buffett and 
And Donald Trump, he's sure good to those people. Look at all the good things he has given to them. And and we make the same assumption oftentimes in quote-unquote Christian circles. Oh, well, God must be blessing this church because look at how much it's growing. Yeah. It's the biggest church. And, uh, you know, Joel Osteen's church or your typical, uh, you know, corner seeker-sensitive church. Oh, they're growing by leaps and bounds. And so that's a sure sign of God's favor, right? Yeah, that's a, a lot of people make that make that connection, that assumption, where they look at a small struggling church where a guy labor, labors is laboring faithfully for for years and seeing seemingly little fruit, and yet he's a faithful expositor. He handles scripture well. He loves his people. He's marrying people and burying people. And he's just laboring away in a small church somewhere, teaching the Word of God, doing what God's called him to do, being faithful. And he lives on a pittance and struggles to make ends meet. And the church barely makes their budget. And it's just a small work. Right. And because it's because he started there and it was 50 people, and today after 15 years it's 60 people, they think that that's evidence that God is not blessing that work. Yeah. And uh, I think that I, I don't think you can measure anything by those standards. Right. Externally. Those are external standards. And yet we so often do. Um, it, the, the people who are asked to be the speakers at the big conferences and conventions, they're the, the church growth guys, the guys that, uh, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been at the, I've been at the Southern Baptist Convention and a, a speaker is introduced, always a pastor. And, well, this is Pastor so-and-so of so-and-so Baptist Church. And his church went from, 75 people when he started there and and now now they're numbering over 3000 and and it, the church has grown under his leadership and blah 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 and you know he's just done all this and it's it's all about numbers and yeah. and we it's just a very very shallow way of looking at things uh and yet I mean, this is, there's nothing new under the sun right asaph initially had much the same perspective yeah he looked at the wicked he looked at what they enjoyed he looked at how they lived how they died and what they possessed in the in the interim and assumed that this was god's goodness or at least that's what he was tempted to think um and then after he gets his perspective corrected he gets to the end of the psalm and you realize no god is not good to the wicked through that prosperity god is good to his people but it is what what do we how do we define what is good what is what is the goodness of God? In, in the last half of the psalm, the goodness of God is evidenced by, um, you know, Asaph talks about being having God take him by his, his right hand, God's counsel guiding him, receiving him to glory, having God in heaven and desiring nothing else on earth, God being his strength and his portion forever, uh, never perishing, the eternal salvation. These are the things that Asaph realizes is the possession of the righteous at the end. Those are things that the wicked do not possess. So that, that that eternal perspective, that that heavenly perspective, suddenly gave Asaph the helped Asaph to understand God is good to His people, and this this prosperity is not the measure of God's goodness, because if if, if every time you if if what you if you see prosperity as the evidence of God's goodness and God's blessing, then every time you see prosperity, you're going to assume God is blessing something. Right. So how can God bless? Um, how can God bless? Uh, uh, Bill Gates or Steve Jobs. These are men who are not believers. These right. are men who promote ungodly and wicked causes. These are men who, who make no reference to God whatsoever. These are people who are atheists. How is it that these people can have so much of the blessings of God if God is in control? Because we have to we have to understand God is sovereign. And so if we believe that God is sovereign over these things, that he is in control of who gets a dime and who gets a dollar, if God controls that, then why would he pour out such blessing on the, the wicked? What are they doing right that you and I are not doing. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. that's what you start to question after a while. Right. 
Okay, Jim, thank you, brother, for joining me. And uh, dear friends, I want to thank you for joining me. And we are just getting started here. And uh, Jim, when we come back, Lord willing, our next program tomorrow, we're going to talk about something called common grace. Common grace, yes. And so we'll have you define that for us and tell us what it is. Common grace in our next program, and we'll talk more about the prosperity of the wicked. Thank you very much for joining me, dear ones. Until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.